Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hey there, Steve. Our guest for episode 23 is Simon Ashbury. Simon is someone who's dedicated his life to supporting music and in a number of different ways. He is a musician and still plays, but this conversation, Ben, reveals someone for whom a genuine calling and drive to get behind bands has been at the heart of his life for decades. It is, and I think when when people come to this conversation, they are going to get the essence of someone that is at the very heart of what it means to be part of a creative community, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Simon laughed off the fact that he hadn't thrown away any of the demos he was sent over the years, saying he's a bit of a hoarder, but I think... I think it's more than that. I think that kind of exposes his commitment to what he's chosen to do. Yeah, very much so. He comes, he comes from a sort of old school background, and I think we felt a sort of common sort of commonality with that. There's some, some again, some lovely references to John Peel in the in the stories that were told, and the 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 essence of what it is to to you know to make a demo and to be a collector of music and to kind of have a passion about, you know. The, uh, the artifacts that come with that. And it was, yeah, like you said, re- really, really passionate. Yeah. I mean, at the heart of the conversation, it's a discussion about the role of local DJs and journalists who can play well, sort of such an important part in a fledgling band's development, can't they? I mean, but boosting confidence and helping to build an audience and that kind of thing. It is, yeah, very much it kind of, he had that perspective and that experience about a kind of, a different time when it was very much music was much more focused on uh you know much more small compressed kind of local area but beyond that he was also able to kind of um you know scope it out into how how the music is much more global these days and he could see the you know the direct correlation between those two things and connect them um to see why one why it worked before and how it works differently now. Yeah, and how there is a little bit of a fall back towards the reliance on um the the role that somebody like Simon can play, you know, on on a local level, you know, with with what we're all kind of living through at the moment. Um, and also what I really enjoyed was um it it was it triggered some really nostalgic memories for both of us, didn't it? And, and just prior to the recording, we were both sort of swapping stories about interactions with <laughs> meetings with local journalists and um, and just really fond memories of those those occasions. It was a lovely thing to be able to to be able to share those and for those kind of memories to come floating up to the surface and uh, and then to engage with someone that really those those kind of um, had those kind of stories and those connections themselves. It was, yeah, it was a great thing. Yeah. I mean, Simon's been doing his radio show for 20 years and championing and supporting local music. And with local venues closed, it's a vital resource for bands, the bands that he's playing on his show, isn't it? Yeah, he's got a huge commitment. And he's kind of, he's demonstrated that from the, 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 the whole breadth of the conversation that that commitment started a long time ago. And it's never, it's never waned. He's still in there thinking about how he can, how he can bring other people's creativity to a wider audience. And he was able to say, well, it doesn't matter whether that's that as an audience of one person or an audience of a greater amount of people. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's a, coming from a very, very genuine place. And it was it was great to talk to you. So our thanks to Simon for coming onto the podcast and uh, and talking with us. Um, there's, there'll be some links in the show notes to um, Simon's radio show. And um, if you get a minute to put five stars in an envelope and send them our way, that would be brilliant. Um, so let's go over now to episode 23 of Songs from a Padded Envelope with Simon Ashbury. I'm Simon Ashbury. I'm a writer and a radio presenter. The song uh, we're going to play is by the Keith Lee band, uh, The Big Bang, and it's called Where You Write. Well, Simon, thanks for coming on the show. This is a slight departure for us, as, as although you are a musician, you're sharing a demo in which you played no part. How did this demo come your way? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it came my way as part of um, an avalanche of demos um, which came my way back in the, I suppose, actually starting them in the mid to late 1980s, going right through to all about, um, well, the end, end of the 90s, when the sort of 
the golden age of demo tapes, I suppose, sadly came to an end. Um, it was over that period of probably over a decade, probably nearly 15 years that I was working in newspapers, uh, doing the music column and uh, trying to cover the local music scene and, and bands sent in demo tapes by the, by the truckload. And uh, this, this particular one uh, was by the band, the Big Bang, who were a kind of offshoot or, or um, a follow-up band to uh, um, Skeletal Family, who were very well known on the kind of goth, sort of goth punk scene in around Bradford. And I'd kind of missed them really, um, because I didn't come to, to Bradford to work until uh, 1990. Uh, but Stan Greenwood from the band, um, when they kind of finished first time around, they've re they're reformed and they're still going today, of course. Um, yeah, he formed uh, the Big Bang, and uh, that was one of the, the tapes that that winged its way to me, and and I, yeah, gave it a favourable review. What made you hang on to the Big Bang demo then, Simon? Well, my wife never ceases to remind me that uh, I've not just hung on to this one demo, but I've hung on to plenty. <laughs> Far too many, <laughs> and they're scattered in. Not scattered, actually. You know, they're neatly stored in boxes. I mean, I have I have lots and lots of demos. I've really refused to throw throw them away unless they've unless they were actually terrible in the first place or uh, became unplayable. I'm a bit of a hoarder in that sense. Um, this this is one that um, uh, I was I was fond of at the time. I remember. I'm pretty sure I used to do like. Um, uh, my own demo top 10 a kind of a chart at the end of the year and bands are quite keen you know they'd actually say to me, are we going to get in your top 10 this year you know so ah, brilliant. It, was, it was not quite in christmas number one but it was getting into the local paper um and i'm pretty sure that that did pretty well i think it was something of a departure from the skeletal family stuff which had been a bit more uh, edgy and gothy it was a bit this is a bit more indie pop a bit lighter in tone and uh stan greenwood from the band as i say he's now gone back to uh being skeletal family as well he and he has another band on the go as well so I, i'm in touch with him on social media a bit and uh, uh they were chatting about the big bang um on facebook i think and uh, i managed to sort of unearth this this particular demo took a little photo of it to show that I've still got it. And I think that's possibly where you first first spotted me. That's exactly right. Yes, on the <laughs> Bradford Music Archive page, or I think that's what it's called, something like that. Um, yeah, seeing the, seeing the photo of the, of the demo tape. I, I, just, I was just interested because you said uh, that, that the age of the demo tape sadly coming to an end. Can you, can you just explain a little bit more what you, what, what you mean about that and why you sort of see that as a sad ending? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very much um, someone of the of the demo tape era, both as a, um, a a producer as well as as a receiver, really, because I, I've kind of been in bands in a very low level, not at all serious. Um, I hesitate to add, um, but ever since I was probably fifteen, myself and my, my two brothers, we got together and formed a band in a in a sort of uh, not in our bedroom, actually. It was in a kind of converted garage that we had around the back where we made a, an awful racket and uh, recorded stuff on cassettes because that's what he did it. This is the very late 70s now we're talking. And all he had was, you know, um, uh, a radio cassette player. You'd, you'd press play and record, uh, record it all in one session. You could often hear, you know, my mum occasionally hoovering the background or, you know, <laughs> the budgie in the next <laughs> room in quiet bits um and these tapes again i've obsessively kept um and when we actually after years and years got good enough to be um of a level where we at least thought we could we could play this music to other people you know we did actually start to try to give these tapes out so i was there giving out demo tapes and then when i was lucky enough to start covering music when when i trained um as a, a journalist in newspapers then um it was great to start receiving tapes in from from you know local bands a lot of which i thought were, were really good 
and there was I, I started off um in high wickham actually uh, was where my first job was so I, I covered the music scene in in high wickham in the uh, mid 80s and there's a really good live music scene down there um went to see a lot of these bands live when I, when they sent me their tape um and it, it it seemed at that time you couldn't really imagine a future in which that that as a way of um distributing music would would end but it but of course it, it has really and i suppose even once you got to the era of, of cds um which was i suppose just not not quite as um nostalgic as as the tapes um that at least was was a sort of continuation of a physical artifact but um pretty much now um I, I don't work in newspapers anymore but i do a um a music show on the community radio station in bradford and every single bit of music sent to me of course comes as a, an mp3 and it's it's um not having that physical artifact is mm. is i think a, a shame you know yeah there's something something about it being a bit of a rites of passage the making of a demo isn't there even for like you as you were describing with you and your your two brothers even at 15 in your in your converted garage you know there was an expectation that you would get together and record some music onto a tape yeah absolutely it, it was there's something about committing it to yeah to, to tape um, not quite vinyl that was that was the ultimate dream in those days committing to vinyl because you actually had to have some kind of record deal i suppose but yeah um definitely and and demo tapes i mean I'm, I'm old enough to remember the real sort of heyday of the john peel show and used to um listen to that uh, pretty much every night i seem to remember from like 10 till 12 and obviously lots of people got exposed to all kinds of new music on that and there was a magic about him the way he he's you know would would say that he'd been at a gig the night before came out with you know half a dozen more cassettes in his pockets and he claimed to try to listen to them all in his car but i mean i think he got to a stage where he had just hundreds and hundreds and such a massive backlog he couldn't possibly listen to them but there was a real um directness of that idea that you could you could record something hand it to you know the great man as we as we uh, yeah job beer was and um you know, there's, there was just that chance that he might he might um, have a sort of a teenage kicks uh, moment like he did when he first heard the undertones, and and you might be on his show. You know, we spoke to Dave Guttridge who, uh, for the for the podcast, and he's um, going. He's part of the team at going through the archive. He's he's photographing the John Peel record collection and talked about finding handwritten notes inside the sleeves where he'd listened to stuff and made made his notes about it and yeah. He told a wonderful told a wonderful story about the first time he was there with um, with Sheila with John's wife and in the room in the actual room where John had all his records and stuff and all of a sudden he turned turned an old DAT machine and John's voice came on in the room and it was oh, yeah it was it was yeah. fabulous it, yeah. it it's amazing how that man sort of engendered sort of so many sort of what felt like a real personal relationship didn't it when you were listening to Peel. You felt Absolutely. like he, he yeah. was in he was in your room playing the music specifically for your benefit. Yeah. yeah. And I mean I can remember him playing playing you know, he'd he'd brought back maybe some Jamaican import um uh, and, and he admitted, Oh, it's a bit scratchy and he, he tried to play it and it would it would just scratch too much and he, he would actually pick it off the table and sort of toss it aside. You could actually hear <laughs> hear the noises of someone <laughs> physically playing a record and and then giving up playing at the record which made you think yeah that's exactly what i'm doing in my bedroom and it, you, you don't quite get that visceral thrill with uh, you know digital sort of you know audio walls and stuff um no. i mean john peel and, and demo tapes will always sort of go together for me and and i was um lucky enough to to undergo the kind of rite of passage in a way of, of giving giving him a demo tape of my own band on one occasion um because he he actually i mean i live in um just north of bradford near near shipley and sheila um who you mentioned was actually from shipley originally her family um 
lived above uh, i think it was a baker a bakery in those days but it's now a kind of a craft beer bar and um john peel was was asked to do one of these shows kind of going back to your family roots type show um but because he actually had fairly unhappy memories of his own parents and his own family life he chose to do um sheila's so they they brought a film crew up and um did some filming around Shipley and went to her old um, family home. And because I was working for the uh, the Telegraph and Argus, the Bradford paper, I was looking to be sent down to interview him. And of wow. course, <laughs> of course, uh, used the opportunity to say, by the way, I'm in a band. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I know you've got a million of these and I don't actually expect you to uh, even listen to it, but it's just to be able to say, yep, I gave my demos here to John Peel. Ah, oh, fantastic. That's amazing. Well, just going, going um, back to your journalism, when did, uh, um, when did you move towards, what drew you towards being a journalist and, and where did you do your training? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't remember a time really when I wasn't interested in, in journalism in a way. My, my mum was a, a reporter on the local paper where I grew up in uh, South Lincolnshire. And so I was quite used to after school, um, you know, maybe she was picking up from school, but she still had a story to finish. So she said, just come back to the office with me. And we'd sit as little boys in the corner in this amazing atmosphere of, in those days, noisy typewriters clattering away and old, gnarled old men with kind of smoking pipes, mainly, mm. I think, and all this copy paper flying around. It was like a really romantic old... Uh, vision of what newspapers were and it just to me seemed the excitement of going to work in the morning and not knowing what you were going to be writing about because then the news for that they hadn't happened yet because you were going to be writing events which would happen later in the day mm. and you're going to work you don't know whether there's going to be a big fire that you've got to go and cover or and anything could happen. There could be a, you know, a lottery winner from from your neighbourhood. So I've always felt that that would be what I really wanted to do. And um, yeah, after um, after university, I managed to get a place um, um, at a journalism training school in in Hastings, actually on the south coast, where you did a sort of six month residential course, learning all the stuff you need to do, like. Uh, shorthand and law and so on and uh, yeah and from there i went to the the, the weekly paper in, in high wickham um and yeah as i say it, i mean that was a general news reporting job but um mm. they were looking for someone who's interested in music and uh, so yeah i jumped at the chance to do that well, that's brilliant before before you came on we were talking about our own experiences of uh, engagement with um, um local papers and music journalists and mm. kind of um uh, both sharing kind of stories of courting the the local music music journalist. Okay. I, I was telling Steve that um, we had an opportunity where we we invited the the journalist round, and we and then there's five of us, five like fifteen year old young lads. We bought a bottle of Perno and forty <laughs> forty Marlboro Red, and spent <laughs> and spent about three hours talking rubbish until we polished <laughs> polished the bottle of Perno off. But um, it was. Uh, <laughs> It was, um, but on a, on a more serious note, they uh, that that sort of moment in time, there was a real importance to that. Um, they were a driver of the local music scene, and and the scene was much more compressed into a small area at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, High Wycombe was an interesting um, place to start because it, it's, I mean, it had a, a sort of vibrant music scene, but didn't have that many bands who were successful or, or signed even really but they were they all felt like they were on the cusp of signing because Wickham's only sort of half an hour from London and all the all the sort of um ambitious bands were trying to get gigs in London and you know they, they once they'd managed to get one they'd often play places like the the mean fiddler at Harlesden mm -hmm. and places like that um anywhere anywhere sort of northwest london was easy for them to get to and they put on coaches for their the ship fans in and they their idea was to play at a london venue but have this audience 
you know, enthusiastic audience of fans who are basically all imported from their <laughs> friends and family. Uh, but that supposedly gave a good impression to the um, to the record label, the A and R men who were supposedly there. And yeah, as as the local paper, they wanted you to uh, join in with that sort of um, um, PR sort of campaign, I suppose, and, and they wanted to get you on board. Um, and yeah, I made some very good friends in in the in the local music industry in those days. Um, and because I sort of dabbled in playing in a band myself, but wasn't really um, quite in the, in the right sort of situation to be in a band, I, I, you know, I, I, I gradually got to know one or two bands whose music I really liked. And in fact, one one particular bunch of guys um, who were from Maidenhead, which was just slightly outside our sort of catchment area. So I didn't really write, I, I, I saw them supporting another band from Wickham. Thought they were brilliant, went to see them again a few times. And because they're from Maidenhead, I wasn't really writing about them because they weren't a local band. Um, and and they asked me um, if I'd be their manager. So I said, okay, yeah, because I thought they were <laughs> really good. They were called the Stir Fry Popstars. And yeah, so briefly I was there. I mean, they called it manager. I think basically they just wanted someone to, to drive the van. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I think because I was maybe, they were maybe like 18 and I was possibly 21. So I think it was cheaper insurance to get the van or something. I was roped into getting the va- driving the van and they were, <laughs> they would just get horrendously drunk after every gig. And it'd be my job to kind of round them up, scoop them back into the van and drive them <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't the kind of glamorous life of a, a rock manager. In fact, I'm pretty sure one one particular night, I remember rounding up sort of three of them, getting them in the van. One was missing, so I went off to find the other one. And when I got back, they they somehow got the um, uh, the gaffer tape, and 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 gone round around the van and like gaffer taped the whole van. <laughs> Together, so you just could not get in it. it took us about oh, that's great! That's... Yeah, <laughs> rock and roller. I, I, I have to confess that I actually uh, I grew up not too far away from Wickham, and I think oh, as, right. as a 16, 17 year old, we played at Ocean's Nightclub, which I think I think it was Ocean's Nightclub in Wickham. Ocean's, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like one of the places that had a change of name every. Yeah, what I remember time. what I remember most about it was that we borrowed my my mates uh mum's estate volvo estate to bring all five of us and all the gear and it's got there's a really really steep hill to get out of wickham we had to take we had to take two runs at it to actually get the car (laughs) car out of wickham but uh, yeah i think the gig was less memorable than the journey home really it's really i learned to drive in, in wickham it's a terrible place to learn to drive because hills everywhere like you say and also well, in those days, it was a terrible roundabout right in the centre of town, which, when you were a learner, was took a bit of negotiating. But yeah, ha- happy memories of the of the place. So the stir fry pop stars, and I, I need to ask if you if you have a demo of the stir, stir fry. I do. Pop stars. I do. Yeah. I you I, do. I, I do. Oh yes. I, uh, in fact, I, yeah, I've been meaning to um, uh, seek it out and and um, give it a spin, maybe on my. Uh, <laughs> on my Bradford show because I do play the odd random record that isn't really you know, anything to do with Bradford. It's just sheer self indulgence. So, well, we should, I mean, yeah. it's your show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like there's at least a small article, or not even not like a book from that story from those stories. I think. Yeah, you'd you'd have thought so. I mean, I, I, the world of um, local newspapers w- was quite a. Uh, was was like that really not just the, the music related stuff but generally there were all kinds of crazy stuff went on and some great characters and um i, I finished working in, in newspapers um in 2000 and moved more into kind of digital writing and um I, I think yeah i think local newspapers have really suffered in the last 20 years because you know the rise of the internet it's just meant mm-hmm that they're, they're really struggling to cope. And I mean, how many people would buy a printed version of, you know, the Books Free Press, which was the paper I worked for in Wickham? Um, a tiny number, really. I think um, sales are all going down. And 
as a result, they're, they're struggling to get this, you know, to afford the staffing. So there's just very few editorial people around. And I think I get the impression from the few people I know who still work in, in uh, the industry that you're pretty much expected, you're pretty much chained to your desk, you know, writing from press releases from social media rather than actually getting out and about into the community and because you just haven't got there's not enough people to do that which is a shame that's it's, it's a sad loss isn't it i think how do you um that's kind of mirrored in in terms of uh this sort of traditional music inkers you know enemy melody maker sounds they've all kind of gone to the wall in their sort of paper format haven't they yeah did, did you grow up reading those were they an important part of your youth as well Absolutely, yeah. Enemy uh, was we were an enemy family. Uh, I think we sounds was always seen as being a bit of a sort of a heavy metal paper, really. So uh, mm-hmm. well, certainly in the late seventies. So yeah, we were enemy through and through. And then there was Melody Maker as well, wasn't it? There was a time where there were the three, the three main ones. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think I am a bit of a hoarder, and I'm pretty sure I've still got some old enemies uh, in the in the garage as well, probably. Hope well. Hopefully, not mouldering too much, um, because we we did once the band I was in with my brothers. We um, uh, we were playing a gig um, in in Boston where I grew up, and we they had like a little gig guide which they said just send send in your gigs for it's a free listing service. So so we sent it in and and they listed it and and I think um, alphabetically. We we ended up next to Cliff Richard, so it was like <laughs> Cliff Richard at sort of Cardiff Royal Hall, and then the Silicon Process, which is our band, at the Sam Newsom Music Centre in Boston. So yeah, I've definitely got I've definitely kept a copy of that uh, uh, edition of Enemy. How fantastic! I remember hey. getting up a, a band in uh, that I was in in that listing and just looking staring at it like. Mm. Yeah, unbelievable that 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 look there in amongst those other bands is our band. It was a brilliant thing. Yeah, really, really. Were there were there particular writers that you remember that you followed within the within music journalism? In uh, I think NME was um, was certainly the paper that I I I got most of my sort of uh, inspiration for writing from. I guess um, the particular, I mean. Um, Stephen slash Seething slash Susan Wells was yeah Stephen Wells yeah quite a big uh, but wrote very memorable stuff um, I think with Penny Penny Rambo as well you're testing me now on remembering all these names I, mean, I think Paul Morley wrote for Enemy in those days as well did he he did Wasn't yeah he? he did yeah definitely yeah I'm, I mean I'm not sure I was I was quite um, quite sophisticated enough really I, I guess to actually particularly seek out certain names but I think yeah subliminally some of them have have obviously made their mark I mean it's interesting because I don't think you necessarily um consciously anyway um soak up any of the influences of those kind of writers but partly because I think if you're writing for um a provincial newspaper you, you you have to sort of accept that you're going to be writing even if it's about rock music you ha- you're going to have to write in a more conventional style and maybe aim at a broadish kind of audience you can't really get away with um some of the more sort of outlandish um styles that maybe people like enemy which are true specialists got away with but um yeah i, I mean you, but you certainly had a little bit of scope to to maybe um throw in a few flowery adjectives which you wouldn't do if you were just writing you know parish council report (laughs) (laughs) well i suppose if you're writing about bands and they're um they could be covering all sorts of different genres and stuff and styles of music and so you kind of that's going to encourage you to sort of describe their music as accurately as you can which is you you can get creative with that were there any particular bands that sort of uh, courted your attention by sending in some you know kind of wildly packaged demos or <laughs> s- slipping things inside the their padded envelope <laughs> I d- yeah i'm not sure about slipping these in i think occasionally you got um 
tapes which were rather than just a straight sort of plastic case that they they came in one of these almost like a um what what's the um that uh, what that it's just a slightly bigger a bigger casing do you know what i mean almost a bit of foam rubber involved they'd obviously spent a bit of money at the uh wherever they'd had, had it produced so it just it came it came through not as just a straight cassette but something a bit bigger um but I, I didn't actually that didn't really sway me because generally i didn't like those because they then didn't fit into my sort of cassette cases where I <laughs> everything so it was actually slightly annoying uh, i think that the a lot of the bands um tended to use the approach of just um bombarding you constantly with with phone calls to say hey yeah have you got the demo i get to review which which editions it going to be in did you like it um and this was in the day I'm, I'm thinking even when i was by the time i'd moved to bradford so you're now looking at the sort of um, early to mid 90s um email wasn't really hadn't really started then so yeah bands would phone you and i think one met i do remember one um memorable kind of incident there was um the band embrace um who were from sort of well just outside bradford really and they were just starting out when when i was uh, covering music for the for the telegraph and argus they sent me all their demos which i've, I've still got before they were signed messages from danny on them and so on um and i'd, I'd agreed to do a interview with danny to do a proper little interview slot and feature previewing one of their sort of big gigs that were coming up um i'd obviously arranged the time and then i'd completely forgotten to put this in my diary forgotten it was even happening he phoned through got through to my desk phone and i wasn't there um and in fact where i was i was in our cuttings library because we had a, a vast room with with all newspaper cuttings going back you know decades and decades i was in the bowels of that building and so the person uh, who picked up the phone had no idea who Danny Magnara was, but said, oh, I'll, I'll put a call out for him. So they put a call out in the tannoy. I was in the in the cuttings library, came to the sort of phone in the library, not, uh, and it was, oh, it's Danny McNamara, you're doing an interview with me, aren't you? And I, thought, I suddenly dawned on me that I'd, I'd forgotten. I didn't want to admit I'd forgotten. So I said, oh, yes, 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 yeah. And I hadn't got my notebook with me. What I did have was lots of little torn up pieces of paper which the librarian francis <laughs> used to just scribble down phone numbers and notes on like almost like post-it size bits of paper so i did the entire interview with danny oh brilliant <laughs> scrap paper and then I had to piece it all back together <laughs> back to my desk and uh yeah it, i mean it, it turned out to quite a nice feature i think that was probably one of the the gigs that he was kind of previewing that that launched them and got them signed and next thing you knew they were i think they got to number one with um um all you good good people so, yeah yeah so well that, that record yeah that record was that was huge was it called the goodwill mm. out or something like that the, yeah the, the album yeah the first album yeah 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 yeah, yeah. shout out shout out to my brother because he is a huge embrace fan is he yeah. he is yeah 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 so I, I don't think he listens to this but you know <laughs> well, how how motivated did you feel to kind of springboard bands out beyond the local scene and into kind of success but I, I mean i i think i did i did definitely if i liked a band i mean i, I think it, it's probably um a danger to overestimate your role as a uh, as just a sort of newspaper writer um and if something's going to happen, it's probably going to happen anyway, and you're not going to make a vast amount of difference. But I think it is nice to to champion something that you believe in and think is is a, a good band, um, and then see them see them do well. And Embrace certainly for me were probably the the band that um, you could say that of most of all because I literally, as I say, had had the early demos and um, went. I went to see them at a place in Leeds called the Duchess of York, which isn't there anymore. There were probably fifty people there, and and yet years later, you know, they've obviously played festivals and in front of thousands, thousands of people, and um, um, that, that that's quite gratifying. Another mm. couple of bands uh, have sort of similarly, you know, made it quite, you know, to, to reasonable levels of success. While I've been covering them again, you, you can't really 
um, have any pretensions to, to claim any credit for that. But it's, it's nice to see again, Terrorvision actually, I don't know if you you know them as well. Mm. Another brand for band who um, were was unsigned when I when I first came across them and uh, um, had you know had a lot of hits. They're on top of the pops quite a few times, and uh, and you know I know the band quite well still to this day. They they uh, they've sort of having split up. They again they've reformed and uh, had a Christmas song out last year, which is quite good. So did they? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Our Christmas song. It's good checking out. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's 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 good to see um, bands um, that you've you've played some p- tiny part in, um, even if it's only just one person reads an article by you and thinks, "Oh, they sound interesting." Um, that's a, a minuscule little part you've you've maybe played in them. And and another band that um, springs to mind a New Model Army, who um, are a Bradford band again. I mean they. They started way before I was in Bradford, um, but you know I did I did cover them a fair bit while I was working in Bradford on music. And um, it's their fortieth anniversary this year. They um, they they had a big uh, uh, sort of webcast online anniversary gig the other week, which was very successful. So um, yeah, that's it's it's nice to see it's nice to see uh, the good guys do well. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And I think you said that play- playing a small part, but it's a, it, it's a vital part f- on both sides as well in terms of uh, um, bands accessing audiences, but also for the band to have that experience of being working with a journalist and, and feeling like somebody is supporting them and, you know, um, encouraging them. And um, I, I mean, just, just for myself, the the small little pieces of press that you get when you're first mm. starting just count for so much. It feels yeah. like momentum is, it gives you some momentum and, and uh, uh, encourages you, you know, I think it's, yeah. it's vital actually. I, I think you, I hadn't quite thought of in those terms, but I think you, you're probably right. I hope so. I mean, I think um, the, the, the interviews I do on, well, I haven't been doing this year because of uh, <laughs> social distancing and so on, but the interviews I normally do on my community uh, radio show uh, are possibly fall into that category as well. You feel it's it's quite good um, practice, if nothing else, almost um, for want of a better word, for bands to to be interviewed in that in, in a sort of reasonably formal style. Even though as a community radio station we don't have a huge audience, um, it's it's something that yeah makes them feel yeah someone sitting on taking notice of us so yeah yeah people want to be heard don't they absolutely and and and, and that, it, that it, it counts for that and and given that there is so much noise anyway that kind of and anything that helps to elevate above the mass of you know kind of competition that there is you know is that's got to be a good thing absolutely yeah yeah how how vibrant and how supportive is or, or was the scene in bradford then it's, I mean, I think Bradford does suffer from being close to Leeds. Um, it's only, you know, sort of 10, 11 miles down the road and Leeds has got just a bigger, better music scene. Um, you know, there's, I think, three universities in Leeds, only one in Bradford. So there's a lot, lot of students there, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the bands who go on tour to universities tend to go to Leeds rather than Bradford. Um, and it, I mean, it definitely suffers from that. Um, but having said that, there's there's also um, quite a, I'd say, sort of supportive scene in Bradford um, um, among musicians. And one thing that, having earlier on bemoaned the sort of um, uh, the sadness of, of the way this sort of demo tape culture has, has <laughs> disappeared, one one advantage, obviously, of of digital life is that you can quickly share um, music among like, like-minded people, and so there's, there seems to be quite a vibrance of online scene um, among Bradford musicians. And th- th- even though I think most Bradfordians would would a- would admit that you know Leeds is where the sort of big gigs happen. Um, there's still a quite a fierce pride in 
um, what Bradford does musically and, and a sense almost that Bradford produces something a bit more unique just because of the, the way it is as a city. Um, there's um, an ongoing project at the moment um, being run by a couple of guys called Matt Webster and um, Gary Kavanagh, who, who've got something they call Bradford's Noise of the Valleys. And the idea originally was to basically uh, document all the bands that ever have been in Bradford. And it, it started off as a, as a book, which uh, I think covered sort of the, I can't remember how early it started actually, but certainly the 60s and into the 70s, then there's a second book. Um, and there's going to be a third book as well, which brings things right up to date. And virtually every band that's ever been in Bradford feature in there, a huge bit of research wow. that the two are doing. And they've also brought out um, accompanying CDs of a lot of the bands. Uh, they've got a website, um, bradfordnoise.com, I think, which um, is really worth having a look at if um, if you're interested in um, music from, from the city. And um, yeah, I think that that has engendered quite a bit of sort of pride of people looking back to just the the sheer volume and, and breadth of different styles that have, you know, come out of Bradford over the years. One of the things, I've had a look at the Noise of the Valley's uh, Facebook page, mm. and one of the things that struck me about it is, um, as you said, the the kind of the, the, the breadth of music that's come out and the variety of music that's come out of the area. But also when you start to read through the comments is the... The, the sense of community that comes out through through that in so many different ways from I remember being at that gig to that's my uncle in that band and I remember him telling me uh, stories and all of this kind of really rich dialogue comes out of uh, of, of, a, of a, a local music scene that is yeah. it's just fantastic and really important and um, at the moment you know that's that's a precious thing yeah absolutely yeah no I, no, I agree and um, I'm pretty sure the Big Bang feature on one of the the CDs that they they brought out, and and probably Skeletal Family as well, which is Stan's uh, other main band, um, and they they all a lot of them interconnect. There's all kinds of you know people leave one band to form another, and um, I mean I did funny if I did a bit of a um, New Model Army 40th anniversary special show, and and I didn't just play New Model Army music itself but also bands that people who had been in new model army had formed in later years and there's so many of them and so many interconnecting um bits of musical activity and and often really contrasting styles as well and we were lucky enough to interview justin a few years back and he's such oh, right. a such a fiercely passionate man mm-hmm. the way that he talks about his um his sort of comings into music and how he how he carries himself is so impressive yeah, yeah, and he's from sort of uh, uh, is it Jordan's quite close to High Wycombe originally, isn't he? That's where he was from, and uh, yeah, but has obviously been in Bradford for a long time. Yeah, I've I've um, I've not met Justin for a while, but um, I've always really admired him and found him an impressive impressive person. He was doing, a, I'm sure, one of the um, last times I sort of interviewed him was when he was putting together an album which was almost a, a sort of a, an oral record of, of Bradford in which he'd gone around done, doing lots of sort of um, almost field recordings of, of things happening in Bradford and interviews with people from Bradford wow. and capturing people's accents and dialects and talking about the city and there was and then he'd put some music over it as well I thought it was fabulous I, and I don't think he ever managed to get it released. Um, wow. I'm sure he gave you a CD of it, which I've, I've got somewhere. Um, but it was brilliant. He'd even recorded, he'd gone down to Valley Parade and recorded just the crowd doing some singing at Bradford City match, some of the you know, chants and stuff. And uh, it was really quite powerful stuff, actually. I, I, if I ever catch up with him again, I'll have to ask him if he's if he's still planning to, to do something with that, because I think it was... a uh, yeah, very worthwhile exercise. Oh, it's, uh, it's certainly worth putting into the local music archive. 
or, or yeah. the, the, the you know, sort of a cultural heritage mm -hmm. archive or whatever mm -hmm. in Bradford. Um, so, well, you mentioned your programming for your radio show there. How do you go about programming in your show and what do you what do you play? Well, it, it's I mean, it's called Bradford Beat, so it's supposed to be basically a showcase for Bradford bands as much as possible. I mean, we do stretch the definition of Bradford to include Leeds because there are a lot of good Leeds bands out there as well. <laughs> um, but uh, so it, it focuses on West Yorkshire music as much as possible and really it's a sort of an open invite to uh to bands to get in touch with me and, and use us as a as you know as a platform for their music really so we're lucky that a lot of bands do get in touch with us and um th there's there's some good labels actually particularly in leeds there's um uh, a, a label called uh come come play with us which are really good and they they brought out a sort of a, an album during lockdown called come stay with us which is all home recorded stuff i think by a lot of west yorkshire bands that's that's been terrific uh, but there, there are a lot of a lot of people who are very prolific actually matt webster who's involved in the bradford's noise of the valleys he he's also a musician and has been involved in two or three albums lately he's done a um a collaboration with a guy called nick Totchek, who's a sort of performance poet um who also has a show on the on the on the bradford uh, community broadcasting station actually and they brought out a, an album of kind of spoken word poetry with with musical backing that um that i've been playing a lot this year as well so i mean under normal circumstances we also try to get bands in to do interviews and, and sessions mm -hmm. which it just had to knock down the head unfortunately since march um and we do also try to acknowledge that people are interested in seeing bands um you know from outside the area who, who are coming to west yorkshire so so again we normally do a bit of a gig guide type thing and um, highlight you know bands who are coming on tour who we think are good um, yeah so it's um it's been going for about nearly 20 years now, so hopefully the formula's working. That's is amazing. That, yeah, it's incredible. Is that, so is one of your roles to kind of identify the bands to get and get them in for the sessions then? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, um, Jonathan, who's the um, station manager, I think is his title, he, he leaves us a pretty pretty much a free reign to, to, do, to do that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, the, like I say, it's been quite a while since I had a band in to do a session it was probably i don't think i've even had one in even the first couple of months of this year which are generally a bit quiet january february so i think it's probably almost this time last year i bet it was i bet it's been 12 months actually uh a band called a night in november who are sort of pop punk band from uh, uh from around here who I, who I happen to i happen to um work with a guy who's a bass player so um uh he's he's a really nice guy and they're they're very very entertaining band but yeah we will have to really try to push ahead and get some more bands in there once once things are back to normal well you well just thinking about that how do you see the uh the how is the live music scene um what's the question i want to ask i wrote it down i should read it <laughs> how do, <laughs> what a pro um so how do you how do you see the live music scene being able to return um somewhere like bradford sort of post-covid yeah it is worrying actually it is worrying i mean i've had probably this is the same experience for a lot of people i've had tickets for gigs um booked at various points of the year and i've just had the email saying oh, it's been i think there was one that was supposed to be in april which then got put back to september and you know in may june we thought oh yeah we'll be okay in september and then it's now been put back to next april and i think that the concerning thing is just this whole idea that uh, a music a live music venue is is probably a the worst case scenario for for transmission of the virus because people want to be packed together people want to be you know singing singing along to the the songs and you know all the science tells us that 
we don't want people packed together we don't want people shouting raising their voice singing so it it's going to be a it feels like there's going to be at least a period in which gigs will come back not as we know them where uh, in some way audiences are limited audiences are social distancing and to me that that almost you know knocks the stuffing out of what a, a gig actually is um so it, it is worrying and um i guess we we maybe just have to be patient for the long term um and you, you, you do have concerns about the viability of, of some of the venues i know um the, there's a venue in in leeds called the broodnell social club mm, which it's a wonderful is, venue it's, it's a fantastic venue and i think that was the last venue i went to before lockdown and you'd hope that that places like that really can survive because it would it would be awful if only the bigger venues were, were able to to see this out so we just we probably all need to keep our fingers crossed and do our best to to support the music industry in whatever way we can and then there are some great kind of crowdfunding initiatives aren't there mm, out yeah. there for, with music venue trust and stuff about trying to focus on local small venues and that is there is that sort of stuff going on in the bradford area i i guess it is i mean to my shame i haven't really followed through on that as a as a kind of a story as a as someone who's trained as a journalist i really should have been a, a news hound uh and and following that story with uh more closely so i i mean i i can i can only give you my best guess which is that i i hope and uh, assume that is happening but now you've mentioned it to me i think that that i should definitely make a mental note of of looking into that and maybe you know trying to trying to investigate that a bit more and and um and and raise it on the on the show if not on my show then maybe um one of the the, the some more investigative news news people on the station could could look into that because um yeah it's definitely a live issue no i just think you're right i think you're right that it's incumbent upon all people not just journalists but anyone who's got a love and passion for live music to kind of go out and have a look at that and see what 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 you could do to support it you know if there's a if there's a venue that you you frequent often then think about how you can get involved in helping it yeah absolutely i mean i think there are obviously a lot of venues are places that even without music well i mean obviously at the moment everything's locked down but um you know once we're out of sort of lockdown a lot of places can open just as um venues to go and have a drink and uh, maybe music fans should be really trying to just go down to places where they would normally go see a gig just to kind of support them in terms of you know kind of a pint down there and uh, um yeah build bridges and find out what's going on and, and do what we can yes and i suppose in the meantime whilst we can't go to go to gigs it makes shows like yours all the more important for to give that exposure to people who are making music and you know because musicians need to keep that going don't they bands need to have that presence still i i guess so i mean um i, I certainly hope so and um you know we do our best to to try to give people um as much exposure as, as we can the i mean the, the strange thing is with um with recording from home i think i've probably produced some um not necessarily better shows but i've managed to probably spend more time actually researching the bands that that we that we feature um than the way i'd normally do the show be, simply because there, there's so many more logistics involved in actually um arranging to you know booking the studio time arranging to travel over fitting you know fitting studio bookings in with you know got a full-time job as well mm. family life commuting all these kind of things sometimes you end up in the studio and you've you know forgotten to bring a certain track with you or it's it, someone sent someone a rare occasion when someone's actually given it to you on a cd and you, you've left it at home and um being at home all the time um because I'm working from home permanently at the moment, it does actually mean that I've been able to almost seamlessly um, absorb the sort of 
radio show work into into what I do anyway. So um, so hopefully we've we've done people proud this year yeah. with with our little our little effort. Oh, good on you. Can we get into talking a little bit about your own playing in bands? So when, <laughs> yeah, when did you, well, well you talked, you, you mentioned your, your sort of first, your first foray with your brothers, but yeah, yeah. G- give us a bit more, a bit more backstory there. <laughs> well, there is a bit of a story around that, full enough, because yeah, I mean, we were all very young when we, when we first started playing, pretty horrendous racket to start with, to be honest. Um, but there were lots of, uh, bands at my school and a lot of the gigs we did in those very early days were kind of school gigs we'd get invited to play the sort of um uh the sixth form christmas party and various things Brilliant. and all the bands played these as well and there's quite an active um facebook group of of old old pupils of that particular school and someone who works in the music industry himself. He's got his own studios, works as a producer, but he's also a bit of a graphic artist. He decided to try to take on the project of doing, I don't know if you remember the, the Rock Family Trees they used to do in NME. Mm, yeah. He was going yeah. to do one of these, as but all the all the bands from my old school, from the, or from the 80s and 90s anyway. And he mentioned this a couple of years ago. I never heard anything again, but he's, he's now just suddenly announced that he's finished it and he's, produce these amazing they look just like the, <laughs> as they oh, did wow. in with all our little bands on um because he spent ages researching who was in the, each band and who played what instrument and um and he's printed these off on really sort of like high quality printed paper and and is posting them out to people it's uh, like the idea that people can have them for, get them framed for christmas and stuff how fantastic it's, it's, i'm saying to him i mean don't you want Pay, I can't pay you for these. Can't send you somebody for postage. You say, no, no, I'm just doing this for the love of it. So yeah, our little band, the Silicon Process, are uh, feature on this in this rather nice rock family tree, which is oh, what a lovely thing to have happen. Yeah. That's such a great, great thing for him to have done. Yeah. Uh, but, but what about now? Are you, are you you're playing in bands now still? Yes. Um, so I, I suppose I played a little bit. Um, when I was a student, after I kind of, uh, me and my brothers all went our separate ways, really. Played a bit as a student in bands. Then for quite a long time, I wasn't really playing that actively. But more recently, I've I've ended up doing um, a few, mainly sort of charity-type gigs, really. I, we, I, a few workplaces I've been at, we've put together a sort of what we'd laughingly call an office supergroup in which various people who claim they could win this <laughs> um would uh, be put together and we'd uh, rehearse as much as we could manage and then put on a yeah fundraising type gigs um for worthy causes so we've been doing that for the last sort of um three or four well no more than actually no probably six or seven years actually uh, which is which is good actually and um from that um a guy who's really good uh, blues harmonica player and vocalist he and i have, have sort of formed a more permanent little uh, side project featuring his son on drums as well so we so we're, we're looking well we would have been looking to do some gigs uh regularly throughout the year really but um, we've been stymied by that but mm. hopefully next year what does what does the plane of music mean to you now oh that's quite a deep philosophical question um it's not supposed to be so <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd, I've always thought that, um, I, I mean, I don't regard myself as at all musical, um, and I, I'm not, and I certainly can't, you know, read dots or anything like this. And yet my wife's family, she, she, some of her cousins are really, really gifted musicians, professional, um, people, uh, and to, to even consider myself on the same spectrum as them is is almost embarrassing. However, I am a great believer in the idea of people having some residual talent. And it's a good thing in my eyes um, to, to use that to do something, even if it's of a fairly low level and it's never going to be something which is with 
going to make you rich or successful but the act of doing it itself is 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 worthwhile in itself um and which case in point really the fact that we've managed to do some gigs and raise some money and you know a lot of our friends and family have come along and supposedly had quite a good time as well um i think that uh, actually the guy i mentioned earlier on nick Totchek, um the poet from bradford he i can remember interviewing him a long time ago when karaoke was like a, a, a massive thing i suppose it still exists doesn't it but he was saying to me how karaoke was uh, w- was sort of looked down upon and people didn't really you know they, they thought it was a bit cheap and nasty and he actually thought the opposite he really felt that karaoke was going back to the days when people made their own entertainment in this, in the way that you know the, in the cliched way that before tv you go down to the uh the local tavern and there was a piano and everyone had a go at playing a piano and everyone did a turn and everyone did a song and it didn't matter if you were no good you just got up and did your bit your party piece and you know some people might you might take a bit of a ribbing but it didn't matter you don't have to be professional everyone did the bit and we've kind of lost that a little bit we've become passive consumers of entertainment through tv largely and so i kind of i, I really took that on board from what nick said and i i do like the idea that even if you're not a particularly gifted bass player which i say i'm not then it's still worthwhile getting but having a go so yeah i suppose that that's what it means to me well that's a fantastic answer and a really good point to maybe wrap up the the conversation wrap up this episode simon thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us and uh sharing some music can you just finish off please with introducing the song that people are going to hear now i will thanks very much it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you both and uh, the song is uh, by the big bang and it's called were you right thanks simon yeah thanks simon really enjoyed it Oh, yeah.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. <laughs>